Welcome to our final week as we get back into the Word. We're glad you are here. This is the last week we will be together in the Word. And as you can see, I brought quite a few bits of evidence with me today. Um, I just want to quickly review a phrase that captures what we covered a few days ago. And we talked about the sanctuary, the wonderful message of what Jesus is doing right now for us. And this is the phrase, Christ died for sin and now serves as our priest. One short phrase that captures that message. You want to say it with me? Christ died for sin and now serves as our priest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We can spend a few moments to, today in your word, digging further to understand more so that we will know how we can live to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A quick question. How many of you can remember who this person is? I'm going to ask you. Here's a picture of a lady uh, on the cover of People magazine. And the, sub, the title is From Hostage to Hero. How Ashley Smith with faith, smarts, and courage. We'll come back to that word smarts talked her way out of the hands of an alleged killer. Anybody remember the story? I see hands are going up. Yes. Uh, it happened about a year ago, March 2005, when Brian Nichols, the man up there, was in, who was being taken, he was on trial, he grabbed the gun from a deputy, he ran with the gun into the courthouse, shot and killed a judge, shot and killed a court reporter, shot another deputy, fled the courthouse in Atlanta, Fulton, county courthouse and then uh, came across a federal agent who was working at home off duty he shot and killed him stole his truck and stole his gun and then he showed up on two o'clock march 12 two o'clock in the morning saturday morning at ashley smith's place and what happened here is the story i'm going to briefly tell you what she did she sat down with him and ashley calmly began to talk to him told him, told Brian, about her late husband who was killed in a knife fight. She told Nichols that if he killed her, her child would be an orphan. She had one daughter. She read to Nichols from an inspiration book and talked to him about her faith in God. Interesting. Here she was, a hostage, and she was brave to do that. But she went further. Listen to this. Ashley Smith told Brian Nichols, that his life still had a purpose. She went further. She said this, by go, you should go back to prison because you can minister to the inmates. <laughs> and I'm quoting now, you can go to jail, Ashley Smith said to this multiple murderer, you can go to jail and save many more people than you killed. Interesting. She's challenging this Man whose picture, by the way, showed up right there on television. While when he came into the house, he said to her, turn on the television. And she turned it on and there his picture was. We're hunting for this killer. And there he was in her home. And she said to him, go to prison where you can minister to the inmates. Fascinating. Courage more than courage. I believe she was imbued by the Spirit of God to challenge this multiple murderer to do something good. When we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, what do we mean? Last week we talked about stewardship. We said we are all CFOs. What does a CFO stand for? Chief Financial Officer. Stewardship. 
We are business managers of God's gifts. And last week we talked about two T's. Do you remember what it was? Time and treasure. And I said that today we're going to talk about a third T. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We've dealt with the two T's before. What were they? Time and treasure. Let's go to the third time. Third one now. Matthew chapter 24, 25, sorry, Matthew 25. I want to go to Matthew 25. Here, this is the story. Obviously, Jesus is talking in the context of the end of the world. Matthew 25, verses 14 and 15. We want to spend time in the third T. We've done with time, with treasure, and now notice the third T. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five what? Talents. That's the third T. Five talents. To another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now when you look at the context, folks, it's very clear that this is a parable that Jesus is telling really to some degree about himself. He is the man who's going on this long journey. Going back to heaven, and when he leaves, of course, the Holy Spirit is going to give talents, gifts to his people, those who are followers of Jesus. And he goes away and holds us who are here accountable for the proper use of these talents. But what is the purpose? Why do we have these gifts? Turn with me now to Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul, because Paul states very clearly the why and the reason, the purpose. Why did God give these gifts to His people? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, 13. We'll look at the reasons right here. And 14. Very clear. Why these spiritual gifts? Why these talents? And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Ephesians 4, verse 12 now. For, here's the purpose, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So that's the first one. So that the saints, God's people, can be equipped to minister. Reason number one. And reason number two, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So here are two important reasons. So that we can reach out to others, number one. And number two, so that we ourselves can grow in the Lord till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. By the way, when we talk about growing, that means we grow together in unity. We grow to maturity. Unity, maturity, and it says that we should no longer be children, we're, because we're mature, no longer children. What are children? They are tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings. So the purpose of the gifts, essentially two major functions. One, so we, that God's people can be equipped to share... Reason number one, reason number two, so that we can grow in unity, in maturity. This is all in growth. Unity, maturity, and we won't be shifted by all kinds of strange doctrines. So there we have the two fundamental reasons for that. Two main reasons that the gifts are given for us. In fact, there's a line I'd like you to learn. and The, the line is a simple one. God's gifts are for growth. First part of the line says, God's gifts are for growth. You want to say that with me? And to share His love. 
Say it again, ready? God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. There it is. One simple line. That's the purpose of the gifts. As you study the scriptures, very simple. God's gifts are for growth and to share His love. Now, now we come to the question. How are the gifts given? Very important question. Turn with me now to the book of, to the letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will admit right away, you must be aware, the Corinthian church, you can read this in the context, Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. These were clearly folks that were having serious problems. Sectarianism, chapter 1. Problems in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 3. Immorality, chapter 5. Suing each other, chapter 6. Problems in marriage, chapter 7. They were having all kinds of problems. And Paul was trying to correct all kinds of issues in the church. Now we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So remember, this is a problem church as you read it. Paul is correcting issues and trying to help this church to grow properly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So what does he say? Go to verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. Verse 6. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Very clear. Paul is saying, remember folks, we serve one God, right? But we have all different kinds of gifts. Keep that clear in mind. There is a diversity. Not everyone has the same gift. Go down to verse 28 quickly. And here you will see 28, 29, and 30. Paul repeats the same thing towards the end of the chapter. And, has, and God has appointed in these church, these in the church, first apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, notice the questions with a rhetorical question. Are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Are all, sorry, are all apostles is the first one. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What is the answer every time? No. It's different gifts for different people. Very clear. So the question is simply, different gifts for different people. And I need to stop here. Please make sure that you understand the difference between what we call natural talents. Some people are born with it. Have you ever come across somebody, a kid who is five years of age and who has a beautiful singing voice? In one of our, my churches in Michigan, I was blessed to hear the daughter of one of my associates with a beautiful singing voice as a child. And she did special music. Amazing. Her voice was still developing, but she knew the vibrato, and she sang so sincerely and as only a little child can sing. But with a sweet, wonderful voice. Natural talent. Okay? That's one thing we're talking about here. Secondly, on the same side here, I'm going to go to spiritual gifts in a minute, but still over here, there are some who, of you who are here maybe, who felt called to study medicine, nursing, um, public health, whatever it may be, but you're here learning how to use those things. However, that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. Notice, spiritual gift is something when the Holy Spirit empowers you, transforms your heart. Over here, that little girl, by the way, could become proud of her ability to sing and take the glory to herself. That's not a spiritual gift. 
That's a natural talent. The medical doctor who perhaps invents some new way to save people's lives, he can make millions of dollars and use it to buy lots of things for himself. That's not necessarily a spiritual gift. You get the difference? Those are talents and things you've developed. But over here on this side, it's radically different. Now, there is a crossover, yes. I hope that God will use all of these natural gifts and those acquired ones, these talents here, and when we are converted or reconverted, God will imbue this, us with the Spirit so that everything we are blessed with, we will use for His glory. You see the difference? Over here, once we have accepted the, the power of the Holy Spirit, every talent, every gift becomes something we can use only for God's glory. So please let's make sure we don't confuse the two. We say, oh, she is so talented. But you know what? That doesn't mean she has the gift of the Spirit for ministering in music. Not necessarily. Because some people who are wonderfully talented, they might use it the wrong way. So we must make sure we have that clear. Now let's go a little further. Talking about this, this, the importance of gifts. Who decides how these gifts should be given? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, still go to verse 11. And this is important as we reflect on this right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as who? As He wills. Did you notice that? It's up to the Holy Spirit to decide who to give what gift to. We shouldn't say, oh, everybody should be able to do this. Mm, I was just reading somewhere in a book where there was the caution. This, this man who was an administrator, worked for the, in the church for many years. He said, look, I just don't know how. I have no gift to work in pathfinders. This is what he said. He said, but I have other gifts, spiritual gifts. Everybody should not be expected to have every gift. It's the Spirit who divides it up and so forth. Go to verse 19. And if they were all one body, where all one member, where would the body be? In other words, the body of Christ has different members, different parts, hands, feet, eyes. The body is made up of a variety of parts. And in the same way, so it is with the gifts in the church. Please don't listen to people who say, oh, you must have the ability to give Bible studies. By the way, every one of us can tell people what Jesus means to us, right? Okay, that's a personal witness. We can all do that. But not every one of us is called to be able to give Bible studies. You see that? These are different gifts. But we can all tell people how much Jesus means to us individually. Incidentally, today after we finished our discussion of our, my sharing, I had to go and dig some further. And I want to share this with you very briefly because I know that the issue of speaking in tongues has become quite a, a hot topic. So I've gone back and I actually spent time and I read a book through today quickly uh, this afternoon. It's a small book. I want to recommend it to you. It's called Tongues by John Robertson. Very crisp, clear, has an excellent uh, quick overview. If you want to go real deep, a book I read some years ago, of course I didn't have time to read this afternoon, Speaking in Tongues by the late Gerhard Hasel. He was one of my professors. An incredible book, digs deeply into scriptures. And as I read, I was looked through this stuff, I was reminded. Let me give you one quick paragraph. This is what Gerhard Hasel, the late Dr. Hasel, concludes. He says this at the end. The New Testament phenomenon of speaking in tongues 
in these three documents of the New Testament, the book of Mark, yes it's there, the book of Acts, and 1 Corinthians is presented as one single spiritual gift of speaking unlearned languages bestowed for the purpose of evangelizing the world. Fascinating research. I would challenge any one of you to go and read, dig deeply, and you will find very interesting information that can help in your own spiritual growth. And I had the chance again today to dig into that. And by the way, it's interesting how as Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he almost seems to go on a tangent. Notice with me at the end of chapter 12. Chapter 12, the last verse. I had just read with you chapter earlier on, chapter 12, verse 30. Go to verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. And now he goes on a tangent, apparently. Not a tangent. A very crucial reminder. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. There's the word again. Tongues. Fascinating. That word tongues is the same word used in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. The gospel must go to all peoples, all tribes, all tongues. It's the same word. Glossa is the word language. The word tongue means language. So repeatedly this comes out here. But it must be done with love. That whole chapter deals with love. Every gift must be practiced in the context of love. Go to verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Charity. Charity. Old English, love. Agape. Now folks, we've got to be cautious here. Sometimes we can find somebody, God forbid it is us, who has a wonderful talent, a wonderful spiritual gift. Let's say the gift of teaching. But unfortunately... The teaching is not permeated, not saturated with the love of Christ. You find somebody who is brilliant, who knows every nuance of every verb in the Hebrew and the Greek. And you sit there and you say, wow, this man really knows the ancient languages. But then you say, boy, but he is a, he's so unkind. I can hardly stand to be around him. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And so the message, the spiritual gift is not couched in that framework of love. So every one of us is challenged right now, according to the Bible, unless the gifts that we are blessed with by the Spirit is completely couched in charity, it is all what? Noisy gong. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to sleep and somebody bangs on a gong? You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, It disturbs you, it irritates you. A spiritual gift is an irritation unless it is permeated, saturated with love, the love of Christ. Very important. Don't miss the emphasis because it's right there. Chapter 14, verse 1. He goes on the tangent. Now he comes back. Chapter 14, verse 1. And what does he say? Look what he says. Pursue love. He has just covered the whole chapter. Now he says, I'm coming back. I'm going to tell you again. Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. And folks, you can find the same emphasis on love in Romans 12. Write it down. We don't have time to go into Romans 12 from verse 4 to verse 9. Love again. In the context of spiritual gifts. Verse 9 emphasizes that. Also, we find this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Spiritual gifts emphasizing love. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Write that one down. One more I want to give you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. 
Again, the emphasis is on spiritual gifts in the framework of love. Some of you know what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The, the, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit are both classified as love. Very, very important. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Go to the beginning of the book. Because the question often comes up, how long are these gifts going to be in the church? How long and what about these gifts? We need to make a transition here. And here we will find a very important statement. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. Paul is writing to these people in Corinth and encouraging them and says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, so that you... Come short in no gift, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. Notice, one of the translations puts it this way, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Now, here's my question. Think about this. This says the gifts will go on till the time of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, correct? So, if that's the case, think about this for a moment. If we will come, will not come short in any spiritual gift until Jesus comes, we should expect in God's church to find every gift, correct? Right? Every gift. And every gift properly used in the framework of love. And that includes pastors, teachers, evangelists, administrators, healers, miracle workers. Yes, proper miracles can still be done. I was there one day when I actually was present for a miracle that happened. It's fascinating and it is incredible to God's glory. Yes, every gift, including the proper use of the gift of tongues, that is the use of language to share the gospel miraculously given. Yes, it still happens. As well as one other gift that I want to transition to talk about right here. Let's show you how I want to get into this because we want to go to the words of Jesus right now. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Every gift should be expected Every gift of the Spirit should be expected in God's church. And Jesus reiterates that same concept. Matthew 24, verse 24. Here is Jesus on that, in that famous Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, He is talking about the end, end of time and the fall of Jerusalem. But this section here, verse 24, is dealing with the end of the world. And Jesus says, For false Christs and false Prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now let me quickly remind you folks that even not far from this very place, down in San Diego, I believe it was, not too long ago, there was a group called Heaven's Gate. Remember that? Where they watched this pl uh, comet, Hale Bop, I think it was, and the leader said what? We need to kill ourselves so that we can join the comet. And the followers did what? They killed themselves. Don't forget, there was a Guyana where almost a thousand people drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid following their false messiah by the name of Jim Jones. And don't forget Waco, Texas, where David Koresh was also another false messiah, where another close to 90 people lost their lives following him. A crazy False messiahs. Be careful, folks. Now, there will be false Christs, but also, Jesus says, there will be false prophets. Now, obviously, there can only be false Christs if there's going to be a true one, right? There can only be false prophets if there's going to be at least one true one. If there were going to be no prophets, Jesus would have said what? Don't believe any prophets 
After I die, after the, the apostles die, there will be no more prophets. Jesus didn't say that. Interesting. Jesus said false prophets will arise because he knew that there would be at least one true one to come. So it's important to remember that. And by the way, you know what's interesting? Have you ever seen a counterfeit $11 bill? Anybody seen a counterfeit $11 bill? Nobody. Okay, you know why? The, do, the, the thing that the counterfeiters will counterfeit are the ones that look genuine. They will go to a $20 bill and they'll try to make a, another bill look just like the 20 Correct? The counterfeit is always close to the genuine as close as possible. So that's what the devil does. He doesn't come up with something that is obviously wrong. So the warning is here. Jesus says, be careful. There will be false prophets implying there will be some at least one true prophet. And of course the Bible shows in the, in the book of Joel, you know that prophecy, some of you, write it down, we don't have time to go to it, but Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 31 says, in the last days, young men and young women will dream dreams and see visions. Joel 2, 28 to 31. But the Apostle Paul does give us a challenge. So I want you to go with me now to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. I'd like to read all three of the verses here. Because here is the challenge to you, the challenge to me. And this is the challenge we're giving you this evening. To check things out carefully. Don't simply believe it. In fact, that's what the Bereans did. Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 11, you remember I've told you before, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they listened eagerly and then they went home to daily and studied the scriptures to see whether these things are so. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Spirit. Okay, so sometimes it's that still small voice. Yes, the Holy Spirit is reminding you to do the right thing. And here it is in a larger context because look at verse 20, do not despise prophecies, Here's the key, verse 21. Test all things. In other words, check it out carefully. And then the Apostle Paul says, Hold fast what is good. So check it out. Don't despise it, but check it out very, very carefully. Now, as we go to the Bible, there are basically four major tests of the prophet. And for simplicity's sake, I would like you to remember these. They are what I call the A, B, C, D. Okay, A, B, C, D. Four major tests. You could just memorize them this evening. The first one is called application. Turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. Again, the words of Jesus. Application. Matthew 7. And in the context, Jesus is talking and warning us, all of us, be careful of false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 17. Obviously, he is preaching that Sermon on the Mount, but the words of Christ apply to us as well. Here he was, Jesus speaking to those people on the Mount of Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And now the key text, verse 20. Verse 20. Therefore, what does it say? By their fruits you will know them. Very important. Talking about prophets. If they are true prophets, you will see that. The fruits, I'm using the word application. Because you see, this is important. Have you heard people preach something and they live differently? And what do they say? Preacher, practice what you preach. 
That's the application. Do the prophets, when they claim to speak for God, do they apply the messages to themselves? Do they live in harmony with what they talk about? Are their lives a living, living representation of the truth of what they teach? Application. And by the way, the application is on others too. Don't forget that. Other people who listen to what the prophets say and who appropriately apply the message, does it show in their lives that they become better, better in the sense of more loving, more kind, more compassionate, more Christ-centered sharers of the love of God? That's key. Now, now, please don't misunderstand. Unfortunately, folks, there are some times when people take prophetic messages and they misapply them. I will never forget reading about a, a husband and a wife. I believe it was down south, as far as I know, in New Zealand. And they had a twisted, distorted idea of healthful living. And they literally starved one of their children to death. And they were taken to prison for child abuse. And they claimed to be doing what? They claimed health reform. But actually, it wasn't health reform. They added two legs to what was health deform. You know, it's a D with two legs on, okay? Health deform, not health reform. Don't confuse the two. Sometimes people go to extremes and then people say, Aha, they're following their leader. Uh-uh, these are the people who are misinterpreting it. We're talking about the people who are properly applying the messages. So application is important. The first test is application. What's test number one? Application. I want to hear you come back to me with these A, B, C's, D. Let's go to the second one, the Bible. The B is Bible. Well-known passage, Isaiah chapter 8. This is the second test of prophets. And these texts are all in the proper context. Every one of them is talking about the difference between true and false prophets. How do you know the difference between true and false prophets? And as you read these passages, it is very clear this is directly within the context of checking out whether these people are speaking for God or not. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, To the law, that's the word for Torah, the five books of Moses, to the Torah and to the testimony. And so today I went and checked that word up again in the, in the Hebrew dictionary. The testimony is the word that is the prophetic utterances, the prophetic injunctions. Now you remember when Isaiah was written around the year in the 7th century or so? When Isaiah spoke, he says, to the Torah, to the five books of Moses and to the prophetic word, in other words, we would say, to the Bible, okay? To the law and to the testimony. According to the Bible, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is what? No light in them. That's a key test. You always have to ask, is this prophet a person who speaks in accordance with the revealed will of God? And incidentally, I have heard in the last two or three years of somebody who claimed to be a prophet in Europe. Have you heard of this person? Somebody who claimed to be a prophet in Europe. And the question is, does this person fit all four essential tests of a prophet? That's what we're doing now. Number A is what? Application. What's the second one? B is? Bible. Let's go to the third one. C stands for consequences. Consequences. Write that down and let's go to the very next book. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 28. Right after the book of Isaiah. Just go a few chapters beyond that. Jeremiah chapter 28 and let's look at the consequences. Jeremiah chapter 28 verse 9. The third important test. Test number one was application. Test number two was Bible. Test number three is 
consequences, the sea. I, Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 9. What does it say? As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has sent. Consequences. If the prophet says this is going to happen, and it happens, then you know the prophet is from the Lord. And contrarywise, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, if the prophet... What, he's, what he or she says doesn't come through, you know he's not of the Lord. And incidentally, you must always take into account a thing called conditional prophecy. Remember Jonah? Jonah prophesied, Nineveh, within 40 days, it will be destroyed. It wasn't destroyed. Why? He said, if you don't what? If you don't repent. So Nineveh was not destroyed because it was a conditional prophecy. So you must always take that into account. See if these prophecies are conditional or not. So that's the third test. What is the third test? What the C is? Consequences. Let's go through them again. A stands for application. B stands for Bible. C stands for consequences. And D, most important folks, and that stands for deliverer. Deliverer. By the way, I found the word in the book of Romans, Romans eleven twenty six. but I want us to go to 1 John. That's where the passage comes in. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And I want us to look at that quickly. Somebody thinks, now, where do you get the word deliverer? Yes, Jesus is called the deliverer in Romans chapter 11, verse 26. That's why I call this deliverer. It fits with this picture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, the context is false and true. And how do you know whether the person is a true prophet? Verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is what? Of God. That's right. If the prophet believes in Jesus Christ as the deliverer. If the prophet, for example, doesn't say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, which some of them have done, yes. But the prophet must say, Jesus, He came in the flesh. He came as the incarnated Son of God. He pre-existed. Every truth about Jesus, He died for our sins. He was resurrected. He has gone to heaven where He ever lived to make intercession. Jesus was our model for morality when He lived on earth. Every truth about Jesus Christ. The prophet will be one, who, a true prophet, who uplifts Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we have to test the prophets. Those four questions are critical. What are they? Let's review them quickly. A prophet is true if it's the right... What's the A? Application, the B. The Bible, C. Consequences and D, deliverer. Always pointing up to Jesus Christ. You know what? Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy says, preach the word in season and out of season. It's a strong challenge to all of us to share all the truth and the light we have. Now we've been talking firstly about spiritual gift as a whole. And as I shared with you, the first half of our series here for this Restoration 2006 dealt with the doctrines that Adventists hold in common with many other Christian denominations. Since Friday, we've been talking about things that are sometimes and somewhat unique. And right here, I'm going to make a transition because I want to share with you what we as Seventh-day Adventists have concluded from all the available evidence when looked at carefully, consistently, and fairly. And the reason I say that, I will make clear in a minute. And we've been challenged, by the way, just a few months ago. The president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church said, Adventists, 
That's good that you preach other wonderful truths. But don't be afraid, Dr. Jan Paulson says, to teach and to share with others some of the wonderful things that God has blessed this denomination with. Don't be afraid to do that. And so that's one of the reasons I need to share with you this wonderful truth. Over time, we have come, become convinced that God has indeed blessed the Seventh Avenue Church with the ministry of the gift of prophecy. When we looked at it very carefully, we find it is true. For 70 years, Ellen G. White has, been, has made a major impact on the church. She is the most talented woman writer ever in the history of planet Earth, by the way. In case you didn't know that. She is the most translated U.S. writer, male or female, for for all time from the United States in religion, in education, in publishing, in management, health, etc. Now I know there have been detractors for over a century. Let me read you one quickly here. Here was one, 1874. Somebody said, why do Adventists believe in the sanctuary? They will tell you they got to this view through the writings of Ellen White. And Uriah Smith was not very happy with this accusation. He says, hundreds of articles have been written on the subject, but in no one of these are the visions of Ellen White ever referred to as any authority on the subject or the source from whence any view we hold has been derived. The, the appeal for our doctrines is invariably to the Bible, where there is abundant evidence for the views we hold on this subject. And Uriah Smith was true. Correct, but you know what? Unfortunately, there have been people over time, right up to this day, I came across this one, 130 years after that accusation, this was in the Detroit News, and it says this, Why do Seventh Adventists hold to the sixth day of creation? They don't say because the Bible teaches it. It's in the Bible. They say, oh, because Ellen White taught it. I said, you guys are crazy. I mean, they looked every, for every excuse to attack Ellen White. And uh, this is what's happened, folks. False accusations have been thrown at Ellen White year after year after year. By the way, I have been the butt of false accusations too. I know what it's like to be falsely accused. When I was even in college, I was falsely accused. My, my character was besmirched. I got back to school and I found out, somebody said, Hey, I understood. You, um, you got your girlfriend pregnant and ran off to another city a thousand miles away. I was a theology major, folks. I, my eyes about popped out. I thought, what? They said, yeah, yeah, Ron got his girlfriend pregnant. Well, for, uh, my name was Ron, you know. That's the thing. People take part of the truth. Thankfully, I had no girlfriend. <laughs> that was the first truth that there was. Secondly, number two, I hadn't run away to Durban. This is the city a thousand miles away. But you see, people will concoct and come up with all kinds of accusations. So be careful. Even Jesus... You know what they call Jesus? Two things. They called him a bastard. That's the term. Illegitimate child. They called Jesus a bastard. And they called him Beelzebub. Yeah, that is, he is, he is filled with the, with the evil spirit, Satan. They called Jesus that. Now here's my question. Just because people call Jesus a bastard or Beelzebub, are you going to listen to them or are you going to find out the truth from the Holy Word of God? What are you going to do? You're going to go to the Bible, Right? So don't believe the challenges and the questions that people raise. Go and check it out for yourself. I had the privilege of teaching at Southern about 10 years ago. I've got to tell you this quickly. And you know what's interesting? When, my, when the students came to class, I taught Adventist heritage 20 times. Classes had an average of 100 students. 
A hundred times twenty, you know what that comes out to be, right? So I had a lot of students over the five years I was there. Before I went, we went as missionaries to Africa. And what was interesting, so many of those students, of whom maybe 95%, 97% back then, were Seventh-day Adventists, many of them, when they came to the class, I would ask them to f- answer some questions. They had a very negative view of Ellen White. And then I said to them, you want to be in this class? You've got to read stuff about her. Read, read, read. And I required them to read about her life. A lot of information about her life. Fascinating stuff. And then just one book that she wrote. And you know what? More than 95% of the students, once they had read about her life, and once they had read her writings, more than 95% ended up saying, Wow! This is a wonderful woman. One, one student said, I look forward to meeting her in heaven. I used to think of her as an old ogre. I remember that student's writing. But now I see she was such a wonderful, human, kind, loving lady who had such wonderful counsel. I can hardly wait to get to heaven to see her. Yes. The problem is, we've got to go and read her. Don't be afraid. And one of my friends has written quite a bit of material on it. I would highly recommend Graffiti in the Holy of Holies. If you want to read a book, Clifford Goldstein has summarized seven to ten books. Huge volumes. I had to read some when I was studying for doctoral studies. If you want to read these ten volumes, you can ask me about them afterwards. But if you want to read just one book where he has pulled it all together, all the scholarly stuff into layman's terms, here is one of the best volumes I would recommend called Graffiti in the Holy of Holies. Go to the library. You don't have to buy the books. But I'm just showing you things that you can read that will enlighten you and enrich you. There have been people outside and folks, there are people inside also who are challenging and bringing questions and undermining Ellen White's writings. Very, very sad. But there are answers. I've got answers to these challenges here that others have provided. Wonderful Bible-based, contextually sound answers. Don't be distracted by others who are throwing all these accusations. Let me read you one quick sentence here. Pulling, putting aside, this is again Clifford Goldstein, he just wrote this recently under a topic called Objective Truth. An article published this year. Clifford says, putting aside a million and one questions about the royal mess we have made in presenting her work, <laughs> or two million and one questions about the exact nature of Mrs. Roll, Mrs. White's role, I still don't know how anyone rationally and logically looking at the objective evidence, the bulk of the writings themselves, placed against the background and witness of her life, could conclude anything other than that she had a prophetic gift. Okay? That's what Clifford says. One long Pauline type of sentence. The Apostle Paul speaks the same way. So in simple terms, there is overwhelming evidence. Let me end up with a very short story here. Very, very brief. I'll summarize nine months in three minutes for you. Today, earlier on, I did it in two and a half. So here it is in three minutes. I was in Zimbabwe. My wife and I, we were working as missionaries. Linda was in the States for a family emergency. I was there trimming a tree at home with my gardener. And the the branch broke and I fell 20 feet onto my concrete driveway. Shattered both my wrists badly. My sternum cracked open. Three vertebrae were compressed in my back. Shattered my right heel and uh, sprained my left foot. T12 was sticking out into the spinal column, ready to snap it at any moment. 
My parents lived a mile and a half away. My dad hurried over. He had been an ambulance driver when he was younger, fortunately. And he rushed me to hospital um, quickly. My mom was with me. As I said, my wife was in the States for a fa- another family emergency. And so here I got to this hospital. Unfortunately, and I didn't know it, the orthopedic surgeon there had been fired from a government institution for malpractice. And he was the man who supposedly treated me. I passed out before I even met the doctor. And he came and he, they x-rayed me and did no straightening of the bones, no surgery, and they simply covered me up in casts, jagged bones and all, and observed me for four or five days as the bone marrow seeped out of the, of the multiple broken bones, went through a chemical change into the bloodstream. As you well know, it then came to fill up my lungs with what is called ARDS, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. I began to drown in my own fluid. And I saw the x-ray reports later on that said by Wednesday I had what they called B-pneumonia, bronchial pneumonia. What did they do? They sent me home on Thursday apparently to die. And so I was at home on Thursday, Friday. By Saturday night I was in such bad condition. I was going delirious. My folks then rushed me back. Uh, they tried to. They called an ambulance in. took three hours to find our place. Right, then rushed me slowly to the hospital where I turned up literally blue. They took my blood count. You know, 95 to 100 is normal. 60% they call your family in because there's no hope for you. They found out that my blood oxygen level, when they took me to another hospital, it was below 20%. And the doctors concluded that I was the level of a corpse. Miraculously, this is about a week after I had the accident, Word had spread, and I thank God through His miracle working power, He decided to answer the many prayers of many people, both Seventh-day Adventists and many and, and other Christians. God answered their prayer with a resounding yes. Which is why I'm here today. So I don't want to minimize the, the effectiveness of fervent prayer and of God answering within His will. However, interestingly, the medical doctors, you know what they said to my wife Linda? They said, Linda, if your husband, Ron, was not so healthy he'd be dead. Now that's why I'm telling you the story. Why? Because folks, I've been blessed for the last 20 to 30 years to begin to take these writings of Ellen White more and more seriously. Yes, I've struggled with some things. I just managed to overcome one of my biggest problems last year. December 3, on my birthday, that was the day before my birthday, December 2, was the last day I had one of my biggest downfalls. A super big Milkshake from McDonald's. I love ice cream. Okay, Now, I'm not saying ice cream is evil, but I know my weakness, and I know that is one of my problems. It took me a long time to overcome it. And I'm still growing, so if you see I need help, come and nudge me on the way, please. Okay? Remember that sign I had on me? I showed you the other day that my best buddy had P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Remember what it stands for? Please be patient. What? God is Not finished with me yet. Now, I don't want to use that as an excuse, but if you see that I need help, please come and help me. But I thank God that I had been taking these wonderful messages more and more seriously. As a result, I had been doing cardiovascular exercise. I was in my mid-40s already, and my lungs were so strong. According to the medical books I read afterwards, they said ARDS kills you within 12 to 36 hours. I lasted for 5 to 7 days. My lungs were strong. A lot of people were praying. I thank God for these wonderful messages from the writings of Ellen White. We do not want to elevate them above the Bible. No, never. The Bible is the foundation. This is the Word of God. We have been blessed with more information, more light that we now know is incredible. In fact, 70 years, more than 70 years ahead of the American Heart Association and the American Cancer Society, they came around in 19. 57 and said 
Tobacco causes cancer. But 71 years before then, guess what? There was one little lady in 1886 who said, tobacco is a malignant poison. At a time when doctors were saying, smoking is good for your emphysema. <laughs> okay, where does it come from? Where did that incredible medical health knowledge come from? Only from one source, from God Himself. Yes, we've been blessed. Let's not minimize the blessings we've received. Now we will not, we should not ever, please don't ever do this, never elevate Ellen White above Scripture. This is the Word of God. We, and always pointing to Jesus Christ. But we must neither, on the other hand, despise any gift that God has put in the church. Whether it be prophets, whether it be teachers, whether it be uh, administrators, whether it be doctors, whether it be uh, teachers or whether it be nurses. Thank God for every gift He's blessed us with. Let's use these to build up God's church. I want to end with one quick verse. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. It's a very well-known passage. This is the challenge to you. This is the challenge to me as we end this evening. And I want you to seriously take this into account as you keep your mind open, as you dig, as you look at the evidence. Here is the challenge given by that great king to his people before they were going into a major battle. This is the king Jehoshaphat who challenged these people. The last part of the verse going to the middle there, he says, O Judah, Second Chronicles 20, 20, he's talking to his people, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, here's the message. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be what? Established. Believe his prophets and you shall what? You shall prosper. Holy Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your holy word that points us to him. But Lord, this evening, especially we want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that has gifted your church with different gifts. Apostles, teachers, administrators, healers, all kinds of gifts, including the gift of prophecy. Thank you for this wonderful gift you've blessed the Seventh-day Adventist Church with, through the writings of Ellen G. White, we indeed have been blessed. Help us to go and share the multiple blessings that we have gotten through this wonderful messenger that you've blessed us with. May we keep everything in the proper context, always uplifting Jesus Christ and Him crucified, yet thankful for the gifts He has blessed us with, so that we can witness and we can grow in the unity of the faith. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.